Grab your Bibles, please. I'm going to get two passages I want you to grab a hold of. Matthew chapter 7 is going to be our text. And then 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, we're going to draw our points. My name is Jim Rees. I am the pastor of State Line Baptist Church. And Brother Roland is right. Uh, we are uh, uh, right on the Mason-Dixon line. One of the uh, uh, markers is right on the, the church property. If uh, there was ever another civil war, there'd be a split right in State Line Baptist Church. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I pastor Southerners and Yankees all at the same time. And we, uh, we, we accept them all. You know, We forgive the Yankees, but that's all right. But uh, good to be here tonight. I uh, share a a brief testimony. I uh, grew up a Southern Baptist slash Methodist kind of attending church, never joined a church, Uh, said the sinner's prayer many times uh, in church. And uh, but never got saved. And as I got older, it was uh, really evident that I was not saved and uh, and uh, got married, me and my wife in 1990. And as time went on, you get uh, my life showed our life showed she was a a lost Catholic. I was a lost Methodist Baptist kind of thing. And uh, and and the devil just having a field day. I joined a rock band and became the lead guitar and rock band and and, uh, uh, touring all the local bars and but still claimed to be a Christian. And uh, but the devil was having a field day with my life, and uh, and I realized uh, something was going wrong, and that I wasn't probably really wasn't saved. So I got religious. I quit the band, cut a really nice mullet off, and uh, and started going to church. You know, every once in a while, and uh, uh, you know, tipping as the plate would come by, and still something wasn't there. I, I I tried to straighten my life out, but it wasn't where God wanted. And uh, and my mom told me she goes, "There's a there's a church up in Elkton, uh, Baptist Bible, who had a softball team. I was like 24." 25 years old, and she said, I know you're into ath- you know, athletics or whatever. She said, would you like to join? I said, yeah, I think I will. So I went up, and I figured, okay, that'll add to my religious list. I'll, I'll start playing softball, and he uh, started playing softball, and it hit me one night. This was in, uh, in the early 90s, around 93, and I remember uh, uh, gathering around those men and seeing something that I didn't have. They had a piece that I didn't have. And I'm going to say this, I'm not preaching yet, but boy, watch your testimony because the lost are watching. And I was watching them. And, uh, and, I, and, and what really got me was after the scrimmage, I'm looking at these guys and uh, they're, they're not cussing, they're not drinking, they're not smoking, they're not telling off-color jokes and they're enjoying life. And, uh, and then they gathered around the plate afterwards and these two teams and these men, 20, 25 men, gathered around the plate and prayed. And boy, that just... I, it just hit me, and it bothered me. And I, I remember going home that night and laying in bed and, and uh, just wrestling with the Lord. And the Lord says, if you died right now, I know you wouldn't be with me. And, and, it, and I bowed my head that night and asked Jesus Christ to save me, and he changed my life. And things became new all of a sudden. And uh, a few years later, my wife gets saved as well, and we started going to church. And I just found a hunger to be able to serve God and plug into the church. And, and we began to grow together. And uh, as time went on, now in my early 30s, I felt the call to preach, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's that's just that don't normally happen because I didn't grow up like most preachers going to cemetery, I mean seminary, and and all that stuff, and uh, and I just and I wouldn't tell anybody, and so I uh, so but I finally it was all I, I I had to start talking about it, and I was asking some preachers at that time, uh, you know, what do I do? I I, I need training. You know, I I mean, appreciate my local church and 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 my my home Bible studies, but I need more, and I began to looking online and. I had one preacher tell me, just 
quit your job, grab your family, move to Chicago and go to Moody Bible Institute. Well, I was sitting under good preaching at that time and, and I'm like, well, I need, I need somebody who's going to teach me that's strong on the King James, strong on the local church, strong on, on church planning. And uh, I remember playing a softball game in Lehigh and uh, I came up here and, uh, and, I, and I, somebody told me they, they had an institute. So I, so I got online and I said, they got it. That's what I want right there. And, uh, and I just want to say I'm very thankful for this church and the institute. And I, and I signed up for that and took a bunch of classes and gave me, in addition to what I was getting at my local church as well as my home Bible studies. And, uh, and, and, then, and then my pastor came to me in 2010. And uh, he said, I was his assistant at that time. And he said, he said, do you love State Line Baptist Church? And I said, yeah. He said, no. Do you love the church? I'm like, yeah, why? He said, he said I got cancer. I'm not going to be around much longer. And he said, uh, he said, I'm training on a replacement, not an assistant. And I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> I want to do that, but not quite ready for that. And uh, unfortunately, he passed before I made the commitment. And uh, we looked for a pastor for about a year. And a lot of good men came through. And, the, and I had some of the men in the church come to me and say, why don't you give the church a voice and, uh, and, and let them vote on it. So I said, let me, let me talk to my wife and see what she says. So me and her prayed together about it. And, uh, and she looked at me like I had 10 head. She goes, I'm not a pastor's wife. And I said, well, let's see what God has to say about that. So she prayed about it. And I came into my bedroom one night. And there was a card on my pillow and says, where he leads you, I will follow. And, uh, and uh, I'm thankful for my wife. And we threw, threw our hat in the ring and, uh, and we got 96% vote. We had uh, a couple of teens didn't want me to quit the youth group. So they voted against me. But <laughs> so... Here we are, and uh, so I, I, I count it an honor to be here tonight. Uh, I, uh, I, I a bit nervous because uh, uh, Lehigh Valley sets the bar, in my opinion. Uh, great church, and uh, I do count it an honor to be with uh, be with you guys tonight, be able to preach, and uh, be with the teens. I'm excited about it. I, I, I felt in the air the giddiness uh, with the teens, <laughs> the adults not so much, but but. Uh, <laughs> going to be a great couple of days I'm really excited about. I want to preach tonight uh, on uh, my sermon title is Religious But Lost. If I can do a little bit of an introduction. Uh, At Baptist Bible, when I was going to church there, I was asked to do the youth group, and, and I was excited about it. I mean, I was, uh, it was my, I hadn't been saved for very long, and they, the, the pastor come to me and asked me to do the, 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 the youth group there, and, and uh, it was a great a church, uh, great facilities to work with, uh, had a good budget. They were going to give me plenty of money to be able to build this youth group, uh, had a ton of kids to work with, and the coolest thing about it was the, the school, I mean, the church had a school, and I was able to work with Christian school kids, and everybody knows Christian school kids are the best, you know. <laughs> they all love the Lord. They all uh, it's, want to serve the Lord. They're all, and then this was my mentality going into it. And I, I, and I found out something real quick, a couple of things. I found out just because a kid's raised uh, in, a, in a Christian school, raised by deacons and pastors and, and Sunday school teachers, doesn't always mean that they love the Lord. I found that real quick. I found that uh, uh, some kids in a Christian school uh, were raised by really good parents but we're really good at what I call playing the game. They, they put on that face, that Christian face, when they're around the pastor, around mom and dad. But boy, you get them separated from obviously the other side uh, of, of that, that teen. I call it playing the game. Uh, I also found that, uh, that Christianity for them 
was in a relationship with the Lord like, like I had gotten. And I found that it was more of a, uh, a tradition that they grew up in. And, and, I, and I found that, that, that those are sometimes some of the most hardest people to reach. I've been out soul winning on the street and was able to talk to people like a drunkard or whatever and be able to make more impact than sometimes a teenager growing up. Uh, and, and, and it became a tradition as opposed to a relationship to the Lord. So tonight what I want to preach on uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, but we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 7. Hold your finger there. I want to preach on two guys, Eli and Hophni, or I'm sorry, Hophni and Phineas, Eli's sons. And I want to look at some of the warning signs. But if you got your Bibles, if you're able to stand, please stand and respect God's word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 7, just two verses, or three verses, verses 21 through 23. Verse 21 is one of the most scary verses in the Bible. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name uh, have cast out devils. And in thy name done, had done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Father, feed us tonight. And Father, I pray and ask, Lord, help me to say what you'd have me to say. Lord, I pray and ask, Lord, if anybody here tonight's uh, lost, I pray and ask, Lord, you would touch their hearts. And Father, I pray and ask you feed your church tonight. Lord, thankful for this church, thankful for the work they've done. And Father, I pray and ask that we get a blessing tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I, um, in our text, Jesus is describing, uh, I think, one of the most horrifying scenes uh, in the Bible. Uh, a group of people standing at the, the great white throne of judgment. And, and I got to think about this passage as I'm studying it. Uh, these weren't uh, atheists. These weren't agnostics. They weren't a group of people that hated God and fought against the local church. No, these were people that, that were actually thought they were saved. Uh, actually had good works uh, that they, they, they claimed as they stood there in judgment. They thought they were going to enter into heaven, but they stood there and heard these awful words, I never knew you department from me, ye that work iniquity. And I've often thought about that as I've read that passage many times. I've, I've often thought, how did this happen? How do you grow up in a Christian atmosphere, or at least a, a, a claiming to be a Christian, and still stand there and hear these words. How do you wind up here? And, and as I was praying about the message and thinking about this, I got it brought me back to the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. These two men were raised in a godly atmosphere. These two men was raised in the tradition of, of, of the scriptures, but yet they were extremely religious, but yet they were lost. And, and as I started thinking about that story tonight, what I want to do is I want to examine these men's lives because as we study their lives, we're going to be able to find out there was some warning signs that kind of jumped out that, that, that maybe uh, if they just looked at their lives and realized they were not on their way to heaven, but they were actually on their way uh, to a devil's hell. So I got six things, six warning signs that I want to give you tonight. Uh, if you're taking notes, I like note takers. I like to see pencils moving. Uh, but six things, six warning signs that you may be religious but lost. Number one, let's jump right in. Number one, uh, uh, you may or uh, you live the life of a hypocrite. You live the life of a hypocrite. I, uh, I looked up the definition of hypocrite. Uh, it means to be a pretender. Uh, and I want you to notice, uh, get to chapter 1 in 1 Samuel. Let's look at verse 3. I want you to notice some things uh, about these men. Uh, they had the position and they had the look. Look at verse 3. 
It says, uh, and, and this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to do sacrifice unto the Lord uh, of host of Shiloh. And get this, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. They grew up in a preacher's home. Uh, they, the, the Bible was their culture and their standard. And, and, and they, they may have looked apart and they may have acted apart, but inside there was, they, they was definitely, they didn't know the Lord. Matter of fact, go over to chapter 2. Let's look at verse 12. Chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, now the sons of Eli were, get this, sons of Belial, they knew not the Lord. Now, I got to think about that. Here they are. They're submerged in, a, in a, an assembly of God or, or, or church or cult, that kind of culture. They're, they're submerged in a Bible culture, but they had the look, but they didn't have God inside. They were pretending to be something that they weren't. They were living the life of a hypocrite. It makes me think about what Jesus says. I wrote this verse down in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27 and 28. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, uh, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of hypocrisies and iniquity. The Pharisees had the look. They had the act. They, they, they looked like they walked the walk and they had the talk. But the problem was, he said, Jesus compared them to a grave. On the outside, all it's beautiful. All it's decked out with all the flowers and the painted white and it looks all nice. But as soon as you open that grave, it may look good on the outside. But when you get on the inside, it's just full of dead man's bones. That's what he was talking about, these Pharisees. They were, they were uh, on the outside, uh, they looked good. They had the part. They, they pretended to be something that they shouldn't be. But on the inside, they were just as dead as could be. They weren't saved at all. The difference, I want to say this, the difference between the religious and a relationship with Christ is really a heart matter. It's, it's on the inside. Uh, in Psalms chapter 73, I wrote this verse down, verse 25. Listen to what the psalmist writes. He says, whom have, I, whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. You see that? That's a heart relationship. And I know in my testimony, uh, I always, like I said in my testimony, before I got saved, I always claimed to be a Christian. I always claimed to be a follower of Christ. If anybody, I can't ever remember a point in time in my life where if somebody says, are you saved? I always said, yeah, I always had the right answer. But in my heart, I knew there was a difference. In my heart, because I was chasing after the things of the world. I wanted to be the next Eddie Van Halen. That was my goal. I didn't have any interest in the church. I, I didn't like church. It was boring to me. I only went because my mom usually promised me lunch afterwards, you know, if, I, if I'd go with my mom. That was, that was different. But when I got saved... It became a heart matter. It became something that I desired. I wanted to know God. I wanted to know him more in my life. And, and I know when it comes to youth groups, I had the privilege of doing youth group for quite a few years. And there was always two types of kids that always came in. You had the first type that come in that just loved the Lord. I mean, they come in and you can see them. They brought their Bibles. They were excited to come to youth group. They were excited to be part of, uh, of what's going on. They, they, whenever the preaching would start, you see them just uh, open up their Bibles and begin to take notes. And those are the first type. The other type was there just to play the games <laughs> or pick up a date or whatever. They would just, just come into youth group. You, know, you see the difference. You know, it would get me excited as a, as, as a youth pastor to see the teens coming hungry for the things of the Lord. And let me ask you this. I got a couple of questions I jotted down. Why do you come to church? 
why are you here tonight? Great crowd, by the way, on a Sunday night. I think this is awesome. But why do you come to church? Uh, why do you sing the hymns? And, and, and uh, whenever the hymns are flashed up or you read them out of the hymnal, why do you, why do you sing? Why do you teach or work at the church, serve at the church? Why do you come to youth group? What's the purpose in it? See, it, uh, there's a difference between a, a religious and lost person. A, a religious person may come because, it, well, it's tradition. It's the way I grew up. I grew, oh, wait, my mom and dad went to church. I came to church just with them. Uh, oh, I come because there's a great softball team and, and they play cornhole on the men's night. You know, I come for that. You know, I, I come because I like the youth group and the games that they play. I come because I like the business meetings. I like to be part of that, that kind of stuff. I don't know who would be involved with that, but there's some that like that, you know. But, uh, you know, but those are religious answers. Those are religious answers. A relationship says, I come to church because I just want to be around God's people. You know, I come to church because I like to hear the preaching of the word of God. I come to church because when I see those words flash up on the wall, they mean something when I sing them. When I, and praise God, the, uh, uh, a church that sings hymns and sings uh, the, the old songs that talks about the work that Jesus done. And when I read those words, I, mean, it just, I come to church for that. That's a relationship. I come to church because I just want to be around God and his people. See, that's the difference. Well, If you answered it just any other reason other than you want to know Jesus more, maybe, just maybe, you're just religious but loved. Lost. Number two, let's move on. Number two, the second sign I see here is you're driven by a carnal appetite. Before we go to our passage, let me, let me read you what Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He says, Ye are your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. When a lost person becomes saved, he's adopted into God's family. Praise God. You become a child of God. They're they're also indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That's That's the doctrine of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what changed my life when I got saved. You, know, you got that, that, I call it God's GPS, always steering you back to Jesus Christ and his word. Yeah, uh, and now that you're saved, now you got that voice inside that's, 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 that's driving convictions. I remember after I got saved, I hadn't been saved for very long, and the guys in the group called me and said, listen, I know you're into that church stuff. And they said, listen, we're, we got a party we're playing, and we don't have a lead guitar player uh, to replace you. Do you mind coming back and just playing one night? We'll leave you alone. And I, and I was foolish, and I said, okay, I'll... Uh, I still had all the equipment while I go play. And uh, I remember stepping into that party and playing. And I remember, um, I remember uh, starting playing the first song. And it was a song that was pretty popular. And, uh, and I used to always get excited when we start playing this. But all of a sudden, I started playing it. It wasn't the same way anymore. Uh, for the first time, I heard loud and clear the Holy Spirit say in my heart, said, I didn't save you to return you back to what I saved you from. Boy, it was conviction. I went home and never looked back again. See, that's that, that's that. See, when you get saved, you got the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's leading God to direct you. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. But if you're not saved, you don't, you don't have that indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You've never been adopted. Satan has full control of your life because you've got nothing resisting evil inside you other than the basic uh, laws that God sowed on every man's heart. That's all you got. And, and now I want you to uh, look in the Bible what it says about the sons of Eli. Go to chapter 2 and, and verse 12. Chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, 
they knew not the Lord. Belial was a, a word referenced uh, to Satan quite often in the scriptures. And man, did it show in these guys' lives. Look at verse 22. It says, uh, it says now Eli was very old and, and heard that his, uh, that his sons did unto the, all in Israel and how they lay with the women at, that assembled at the door of the tabernacle and of the congregation. I, I got to think about these women came to worship God. They came to the house of God. And these, these sons of Eli, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, they were, they were taking advantage of their position, leadership position. And, and, and I, I got to thinking about that. I don't care how religious you are. I, I don't care how much you come to church. I don't care how much your family is involved in church. If you can play around in grotesque sin and not get any conviction whatsoever... I got to ask, it's, to me it would seem impossible because the same Holy Spirit that indwelt me back in the early 90s and would not let me take a step back into what I used to be in, how can you get into sin and not have any conviction whatsoever? I, I know in our church uh, we've had some crimes against the church. We had uh, catalytic converters stolen out from under the van here recently twice. You know, we've had people steal our, our sound equipment. Uh, we had, uh, when the church was being formed, uh, they laid the foundation. And they had a church at Aberdeen Proving Grounds actually donated to them. So they paid a contractor $10,000 to move this building and set it on the foundation. The guy skipped out, took off, you know, $10,000. Church had to scrape uh, some donations together. But you know something? They were all lost. And I expect that from people. It has nothing to do with God and nothing to do with church. But someone that claims to be saved... Someone that comes to church and sits in the pews and sits under the singing and under the preaching can walk out of church and get into grotesque sin like these sons of Eli. I, I got to say something. Where is the conviction? If there's no conviction, if there's no conviction or chastisement, then, then I got to ask you, are you saved? Maybe it's just possible that you're religious but lost. Good. Number three, let's move on. Number three, third sign I found here is you don't care about what God wants in your life. You don't care. Uh, go to chapter 2. Let's look at verses 13 down through 15. This is interesting. It says, In the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hands, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and all the, that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Verse 15 says, and, and, and also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came, get this, and said unto the men the sacrifice, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have its sodden flesh of thee, but raw. I got to think about it. When these people brought the best of their sacrifices, uh, the Lord's part was the burnt, but a priest was supposed to, to get what was boiled. Whatever it was, they would stick that three-pronged hook into the seething meat, and whatever came up, that was what the priest was to eat. But Eli's son, they weren't happy with that. They wanted first crack at it, you know? They didn't want, they didn't want to wait for God to get his part. They, they wanted what they wanted first. They couldn't care less about what, what God wanted in their life. Let me tell you something. Before I got saved, I didn't care what God wanted in my life. I didn't care. I, 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 wanted, I had my agenda, my things, uh, what I want to do. I didn't care what God wants. That's what lost people uh, want. But I know as far as my testimony, I know when I got saved and the Holy Spirit dwelled in my heart, all of a sudden I wanted to find out what God wanted in my life. 
And I wanted to find my life lining up with this book. I didn't know anything about this book. And I remember just digging through it, wanting to know more and more. And I'll, I'll share some more. My, I'm, I'm not a reader. <laughs> I read one book, Where the Red Fern Grows, in all high school. If I had to do a book report, I would watch the movie and cheat. That's, okay, I'm just being honest. It's, you know, it's church, you know. And I, I just wasn't a reader. But I got saved. And that book became really interesting to me. I, I was just hungry for it. I wanted to find out what God wanted in my life. I wanted to find out, okay, I'm saved. I'm going to stand before him one day, and I'm going to stand and, and give an account for my life. And, and I, want to, I want to have something to cast at his feet. I, I want to have something to show for it. I wanted, to, I wanted to line my life up with Jesus Christ. I said, where, God, wherever you want me. You know, it went everything from Sunday school teacher to youth group to assistant pastor, now pastor. And I, and I praise God for that. That's part of what a Christian does. When the Holy Spirit indwells you, you're hungry for what God wants in your life. Amen. You want to please God. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you're here tonight watching by the Internet and you have no care about what God wants in your life, your time, your treasure, your talents is all about you and not about what God wants, then i got to ask you, maybe it's possible, maybe it's possible you're religious but lost. Let's move on. Okay, I've got time. Number four. For the fourth sign I've seen here, you have no love for the brethren. I thought this was interesting. Go to chapter 2. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. It says, Also before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said unto the men that the man the sacrifice, Give flesh uh, to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. Look at verse 16. And if any man said unto him, Let not them fail to burn the fat presently, uh, and then take as much as thy soul desire, then he would answer him, Get this, Nay. But thou shalt give it to me now. Get this. And if not, I will take it by force. Ah, oh, I got to thinking about that. These two men literally threatened God's people with physical harm if they didn't do what God, uh, what God wanted them to do and followed their lead. You know, think about this. That, that sacrifice that these people brought, they worked hard for it. They didn't go down to McDonald's and buy a Big Mac and take the meat off of it and bring it in, you know. They worked hard for this. You know, and here they brought it. They brought it to glorify God with the best of their earnings. And, and, they, and then as they come to it, they, they're, here they're threatened by priests, supposedly men of God. Folks, I want to say this. I hate to say this, but some of the meanest people sometimes you ever meet sometimes in a church. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the way it is. I remember years ago. There was a lady at our church, and this is before I was pastor. And, uh, and, it, and if you got along with her, she would be your best friend. But boy, if you did something she didn't like, <laughs> you'd make the list. <laughs> I made the list. <laughs> I, I, I made the horrible mistake of leading somebody to the Lord that she didn't like, and they started coming to church, and she was not happy with me. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and to this day... She won't even look at me. I'll see her in Walmart. I'm like, hey, I know you. How are you doing? I do that on purpose, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, kill them with kindness, you know. And, uh, and, uh, but but, but it, it, she, she had that kind of reputation, and, and there was a lot of brethren that she just didn't like. And, and I, I got to thinking about this. I, uh, let me read you a couple of scriptures. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. 1 John 4.20 says, If any man say, I love God, and hated his brother, he's a liar. 
For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? All through the scriptures, I find it. I mean, I could just flood you with scriptures tonight, and I'm sure you know them as well. We're commanded to love one another, and it shouldn't be, uh, we, that should be an easy command. I mean, because we got something in common. I, I came in tonight, and I felt very welcome here. Uh, a lot of you guys I haven't met. But we have one thing in common. God is our Father. We've got the same heaven. We're going to the same blood covering our sin. Same Holy Spirit. That's it. That's, that's, you ever run into a stranger that you never met before and then, and then you begin to have a conversation with them and it's like you've known them forever and ever. You know? and it's because they're a born again Christian. I remember my dad was sick and, uh, and, and uh, there was a nurse. It was a guy coming in. He was taking care of him. And, uh, uh, and, and we're sitting there talking. He goes, he said, you, you're a believer? I'm like, yeah, because I was sitting there reading my Bible. Beside my dad's bed, and and he said, I, "I'm I'm born again." I was like, "Really?" And he started sharing his testimony. We're, and we never met before, and, and after dad got out of the hospital, I never probably haven't seen him. Uh, but it was like all of a sudden we were like we known each other forever. I mean, I, I mean, it just had so much in common. See, and and, and that's that's natural. That's natural. But but if you can hate somebody that supposedly is saved and you're supposedly saved, I got to ask you, my Bible says if you hate the brethren, then, then you're kind of a liar and, and, and the truth's not in you. So, so, you know, so I got to ask you, let me ask you this tonight. Uh, do you enjoy being around the brethren? Do, do you enjoy coming to church? Do you enjoy fellowshipping with the brethren? Because one sure sign of salvation is you love the brethren. Amen. Let's move on. Number five. Number five. The first this sign I see here, you show no fear of the Lord. Look down in chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for they abhorred the offering of the Lord. I'm going to tell you, one thing I found out when I got saved, there was a fear of God in my life. There really was. I could go in the bars and sing some of the nastiest stuff that, that the world had to offer. And I would encourage others to do it as well. And I mean, I was, I was afraid of hell. I was always had that for it, but no real fear of the Lord. But after I got saved, there was a genuine respect kind of fear for God. Because he's my heavenly father. And, and it's, and, and it's kind of similar to our earthly fathers. I remember when I was about 13, uh, me and my cousins, I'll use this as an illustration, me and my cousin decided we are going to go carp fishing. And carp love corn. If you're a carp fisher, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I said, I'll tell you what, I got a couple dollars. Let's head on down behind Herb's Tackle Shop. There's a little back wash. They'd go under and say, yeah, let's do that. So we uh, grabbed the bikes and we rode down through there. We're in the, we go down to the convenience store, and we, uh, our little grocery store, and we, uh, we buy a can of corn on the way out right there uh, on the counter was chewing tobacco and I never had chewing tobacco in my life and I was like you know what <laughs> let's try some of that you know so we grabbed a hold of some of that we threw it in a tackle box and and we got down to the river's edge and we baited our poles up casted it out and we're sitting there uh fishing and uh I said you ready for a chew he said yeah sure so we took it out and bit it and I was like that stuff's pretty good it tasted really good uh, apple flavor I still remember uh too good to even spit out so we started swallowing it and uh and uh little did I know uh, that didn't last very long. That river started turning green and started spinning. And, uh, and uh, needless to say, the fishing trip didn't last very long. That was the most nastiest stuff I ever tasted in my entire life. So I, I don't know why I did this, but I wrapped it up and I threw up my tackle box and said, I, why didn't I just throw it away? I'm 13 years old. And they're not real bright. But, uh, but uh, I did that. And I brought it home, threw my tackle box, and did, I forgot about it. You know? and, and, and then I'm, uh, I'm, uh, this month later, I'm in the house, and I hear my mom there cleaning my room, I hear her open up my tackle box. 
and I felt the blood leave my body, you know. <laughs> I knew right away I was in trouble. And, uh, and, my, and, and my dad's name was Jay, and I heard, um, Jay, can you come here for a minute? And I, I don't know why, come, what come over me, I decided to jump on my bike and just leave, and I don't know where I was going. <laughs> And, uh, and my dad had a whistle when it was dark time. He just, he could whistle like a, like a fire engine. He would whistle. It was time to come home. I'm going hundred miles an hour to where I don't know. And, uh, and, uh, and I heard the whistle and I just, I died right there. And, uh, cause there was fear of my parents. We don't have that a whole lot anymore. We, we definitely anymore don't have a fear of God. Christian, let me say something. You're here tonight and you have no fear of God. I got to ask you, are you saved? You can look down. I just, there's so many things in, in chapter, uh, all through this chapter, um, watching my time. Uh, uh, let's look at a couple of them. Uh, let me see. Uh, they had no respect or fear for God. Chapter, or verse 22 in chapter 2. It says, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto Israel and how they lay with the woman uh, at the assembly of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. How do, how do you have fear of God and do that? How, how do you? I mean, even I, mean, I know even as a lost person, I kind of had a little more respect for God's church uh, than that. Uh, they had no fear or respect for their father and his position as a priest. Look down at verse 24. He says, Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people do, uh, to transgress. I mean, I, he, was a, he was a preacher. You'd think they least have fear for their dad. You know, I've heard uh, teenagers complain, Oh, you don't know what it's like to grow up in a preacher's home, you know, and complain. So, yeah, yeah, well, I've been a pastor now. You know what's hard is growing up in a drunkard's home, you know? You know, when you get older, you're going to thank God that your mom and dad took you to church. for yeah, But they had no respect for their dad. They had no care about, about their reputation. Look at verse 24. It says, says, And they, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Their testimony was shot. They didn't care about their family. didn't care about, uh, uh, about the house of God. They didn't care about any of that. They despised the sacred things of God we've seen with the sacrifice. Yeah, one of the strongest fears I had as a lost person was the fear of hell. That was the only fear. But folks, let me tell you something. When I got saved and the Holy Spirit come inside of me, I had a real fear of God. And that plays into every decision I make. That plays into, as a pastor, every decision I make as a pastor, knowing that one day I got to stand before him. Oh, I'm on my way to heaven, praise God. But I want to stand before him one day and hear, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, I have fear of God. If you have no fear of God on this earth, I got to ask you, are you truly saved? Number six, last one. Last sign I've seen here is your life influences people away from the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse 24. He says, Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that, get this, that I hear you make the Lord's people to transgress. These were leaders in the church. They should have been leading people closer to the Lord and to their, His word. But instead, they, were, they used their position, they abused that position, and they got into God's house and they were leading people away from the Lord. They were doing exactly the opposite. Folks, let me tell you something. God has given us a local church for the purpose of worship and to fulfill the Great Commission. That's what God's given us a local church for. And, and uh, I believe in, in the church ought to be the, the pillar and ground of truth. And I think in one of our generations, I think one of the most wicked teaching is the purpose-driven church. By any means, uh, that you take the church and you water down everything that God has. You water down the preaching. You water down the singing. You try to make the world look more and more like the church to attract lost people in. Let me tell you something. Last time, I, I know when I was lost, I didn't need more world. I needed Jesus. Amen. 
that's what I needed. And that's what, that's what this purpose-driven stuff says. I heard one preacher say, you paint the bride of Christ up to be a harlot to attract the hearts of lost men. I had some, uh, we had a hymn sing recently in our church. And I had some ladies come to me and said, well, pastor, is it going to be formal? And I said, you're leaders in the church. You're leaders. And people are going to be looking up to you. You're, you, along with what I preach and teach and the, my leadership, you're, the way you walk and the way you talk is going to be just as much impact as others. See, Christian, let me tell you something. The, way, the, the world is watching us. Yeah. The world is looking at us. I, I'll use uh, a real quick story. I'm just about, I'll close with this. I, um, my sister, 43 years old, got diagnosed with cancer. Uh, terminal cancer. She didn't last very long. And uh, uh, I remember uh, uh, she was going down. She went down to about 83 pounds, lost all her hair. She was in hospice. And I'm sitting by her bedside and we're talking. And, and she looks at me and she goes, I was watching your life. <laughs> she goes, I was watching everything you did, every post you put up on Facebook, every, everything you said. Every, uh, you know, I, I just watched you. And she goes, I knew what you was like before. And I seen a difference. She never told me that. You know, we were close. We were close. But it, it, we, just, we just never had. We, we talked about the Bible when, when, when the opportunity come up. But I didn't realize how, how much she was watching me. I got family who watches online. I got families coming to church. And I look at that and I think to myself, you know something? As a Christian, I, I'm not just responsible for my walk. But I'm responsible for those who are watching me as well. And everything I do may make an impact, you know, in somebody else's life. So, yeah, we, uh, if you're here tonight and you come to church and you can walk into church and you can sing the hymns and you can get away from mom and dad and get away from the church and the pastor and you can sing with the world and act like the world, just remember, if there's no conviction over the way you walk and you're leading people away, i got to ask you, are you saved? Now, when I was praying about this sermon, before I, before I brought it tonight, I, I, I prayed and asked, you know, God, what do you want me to preach on? And, and I really felt led to preach on this. But I'll say this. I didn't preach this to want to get somebody lost. Uh, you know, if you're here and you're saved, praise God. I don't want nobody to doubt your salvation. But I figured before we start into the youth retreat and the winter retreat and uh, have fun with that, I figured we'd start here to examine your heart. Because if you're not saved, the retreat's not going to do you any good. Starts here. Paul says, "Let a man examine himself, whether he be in the faith or not." I think it's a good time to cha- a challenge to start there. Are you saved? Are you living the life of a pretender?